Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hi, thanks for joining us today on the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Now, in my new series, which is all about the future, we're looking at some blue sky options, both in terms of what will happen to the working world and what might be happening to your career. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Rob Kerr. Rob is an author and started his career as a project manager. So Rob has built successful careers with New York Mellon Bank, Royal Mail, Capgemini, Bupa, to name just a few, and then became a consultant, um, focusing now on people who are looking to establish their own businesses. So let me start with that, if I may. Rob, welcome. Tell me why you felt that the world needed both a consultant in this field and your book, Project Future, which you kindly sent me a copy of. Matching pair of some other folks. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, absolutely. Thank you. I, I think the initial inspiration for it came from, from what I did in, in my day job. So as a, as a project manager in the various industries and, and fields that you've you've stated there, it was very much a single way of working. So there was, there was a single structure that underpinned all of the projects that, that I would work on. And indeed, the, the approval process for, for getting budget and resource to undertake those projects in the first place. So the more I went through in my career, the more I, I started using and applying some of those techniques in my home life. Uh, so my wife and I would use, you know, just subtly sometimes. We we didn't necessarily have these huge Excel spreadsheets and things, but we'd subtly use some of those those frameworks and techniques at home to to make better decisions and and not take on too much risk, um, not do too much at any given time, and you know, just slowly by slowly, just just improving the way that we we did things. And you know, as I as I went on, I've always been passionate about business and about startups. Hence, I, I started my own business back in 2014. And, you know, I'd look at the high street around me and see so many businesses start and 18 months later, they were gone, you know, and that was someone's dream one day. And, and that that really was the inspiration for me to kind of combine all of those things and for them to converge and think, okay, perhaps there's a way of using project management techniques and framing them in such a way that they would help people you know, decide whether to start a business and indeed to help them start the right business for them. For my audience, I felt that Rob's book and his experience was particularly relevant because we have in the recruitment industry an enormously fragmented sector of basically micro businesses. And as we know, an awful lot of them don't succeed. A lot of people start up recruitment businesses without any particular plan. So a question to you, Rob, what are the most common errors that you've observed that people make when they are considering setting up a business? I think sometimes it's not 
it, it sounds counterintuitive, but perhaps not being brave enough and not looking through all of the options there and perhaps doing something that's that's too similar to, to what it is that they know. And, you know, rather than necessarily looking at all of the the, the wider package, so the, the external environment, the opportunities that are, are there, the trends that are ongoing, and indeed combining perhaps professional experience with home life and and interests and finding that finding that real micro niche you know and that that really narrow um part of the field that may be where an individual can stand out mm. and that was certainly an error you know that i made very early in my career i was way too safe with my choices you know up until my mid-20s all the way through my, my student life and and indeed my early work life i was i was way too safe and as a result I didn't necessarily appeal to anybody, uh, <laughs> and you know, and that was the uh, that was a real turning point there. And I think, like anything, you you don't necessarily know what's there until that deep level of research goes into it. And so I think, you know, ha- having a real solid think about all of the options, getting examples from other industries as well, that where there could be a you know a light bulb moment or something that would would work that hasn't necessarily been done in uh, in in your space in, in recruitment there so I, I think think hard about it you know really consider the options and then also bring in you know the impacts that it might have on on family life as well most of us aren't islands you know there, there is there are dependents whether they're elderly relatives young kids you know partner spouse all that kind of thing so I, I think you know starting a business is hard and bringing in kind of joint savings or not being able to provide a salary for a certain amount of time, not necessarily having visibility of, of the amount of money that's going to be coming in until a business gets into a, a, a routine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these are all, these are all hard things. And I, I think setting, you know, setting those guidelines and and being clear on what you can expect at, at the start can really help to make it a better experience all around. There are so many things you've just said there that really ring true in the recruitment industry. One of the most challenging issues that I work with a lot of people who have already started down this path and they've been successful recruiters. They've been very good at networking with candidates about selling their services to clients and putting the two together. That on that basis, they want to go out on their own. And actually, there's an awful lot more to running a successful recruitment business than there is to just being a good recruiter. And some people learn that the hard way. So they've got perhaps no experience in in marketing or finance or, you know, handling back office systems uh, and especially compliance. So is that something you've observed? Yeah, 100 percent. And on on top of that, the brand, you know, having a strong brand behind you, it Mm could be it could be much easier to get in front of the right people if you've if you've got that brand, you know, kind of behind you rather than just kind of starting out. From scratch, of, of course, people often have their contacts and have that kind of be known, likes, likes and trusted, which is a, it's a great place to start. It's a great foundation. But yeah, there's there's so much more to it. And and certainly in my scenario, it probably took me two years after I started my business before I felt comfortable with it. You know, when I was in the routine of exactly what was expected of me, you know, working with accountants and all of that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. but yes, there are there are so many different angles to it. You know, beyond the the simple recruitment type relationships and yeah the marketing side of things the the branding looking at the admin side of things the finances you know making sales forecasts reviewing those kind of forecasts to see how they're coming in whilst constantly looking for for, for new clients and new opportunities and indeed responding to threats 
it, there's there's a lot to it and as i say it's not to be taken lightly but the opportunity that can come from it if if it's done correctly can make a you know a great lifestyle you mentioned before about your experience across various industries and how useful that had been in to, even though you were using the same project management methodology having that knowledge of different industries is really important one of the issues that pops up from my clients sometimes is that very often they've had extremely limited sectoral experience. So they are recruiters and they're recruiters in one finite sector, probably with one company. And that means that they often have no idea whether the way they did business was the only way, the best way, the legal way, <laughs> and whether it should be replicated. So very often they'll just go and, and replicate. Now, you mentioned earlier the importance of doing your research and looking more broadly, perhaps even outside the recruitment industry. Are there any general pointers you'd give people in terms of what, what kind of research they should be doing? I think it, it can be very, very hard, especially, as you say, if someone's only worked in one company or indeed has worked in one company for a long period of time, because that that does become the default. So mm-hmm. I, I think do as much research as, as you can across various angles, you know, look on look on YouTube, look at specific groups, ask questions. I think it's really important to ask questions and, and try and get experience from people that have, have been there and done it. So, you know, to the networking opportunities that we have now, um, especially as we've seen in the last year or so, you know, with online groups that, you know, you can go into into Google or a search engine and find, you know, you can put in really bespoke terms and you'll you'll find a you'll find a group of people that have have got a similar interest to you or be able to elaborate on the on the space that you're looking to to find out about. And and whether that is just simply different ways of working or or different markets or or industries beyond you know what it is that that someone has their their main experience in but i i think you know, a, a a mini framework to look through there is to is to really look at you know what what you love you know and how you can apply that within what it is that you do what you can be paid for what the world needs you know i think if you can combine those things together then you'll be in a you'll be in a good place in your book i know you've got a, an acronym for a preparatory framework um sorted could you yes, sorted, yeah. talk the audience through that yeah absolutely so the sorted framework um it's quite colloquial as you can, can tell by the the word of it but it's it it falls in phase zero of the book which is before the project's even started so this is before someone has even decided yes i'm going to start a business so the sorted framework is all about getting your mindset right to to understand what will be expected of you and what you can expect if you if you go on to start a business so the the first step is a self evaluation is to look at you know your most recent role the skill set that you have and indeed your your wider career history and why you've got to where you are effectively if there are other people that started at the same time as you that have evolved and and moved on further than you or indeed the opposite then why is that you know it's um it, there's there's 20 or so questions within the the self-evaluation which is it, it's it's a deep kind of honest starting point to say kind of where you are the second step is openness to change. So mm-hmm. I think change happens constantly. It's perhaps one of the only permanent things that we have is, is change. As again, we've, we've seen so much more of in the last year or so. But some people are perhaps too open to change. Others, you know, at the other end of the spectrum. But equally, change can sometimes find you rather than if you, if you go out and seek it. And as your own boss, 
I think being open to change and being ready to respond as and when these things happen, you know, is, is kind of a great way to be. The R is for responsibility. And really in that step, I look at internal and external threats effectively um, and, and opportunities that may come from that. So really not allowing things to, to block you unnecessarily. Some internal reasons not to start a business might be to look at, you know, might be waiting for a, a redundancy payment that might never come or waiting for a bonus similarly, you know, or there may be more legitimate things, you know, like childcare or any of those responsibilities that that have a, a definite time period. But again, they may not be necessarily fundamentals to not going ahead with the business and the external element is of it is really looking at the market you know and i i think at the moment it's a great opportunity to start a business not everybody agrees with me but i think you know so many of the businesses that were started in the last recession around 2008 2009 are businesses that are really thriving at the moment can you just explain why you think this is a great time to start a business yeah, the the economy always resets when there's a recession. So all the changes we're seeing on the high street, all the different ways of working that are taking place now, you know, the different demands that people have, not just during this, you know, bizarre spell where we've where we've sadly got COVID, but how the market will will be when we come out the other side. I, I think many of the changes that are happening now, you know, the the fact that you know, Zoom has just become a, a standard way of working over the last year or so. That probably would have come at some point during this decade anyway, as technology became, you know, stronger. We couldn't have even had, you know, these video calls, the group video calls five or six years ago to the quality that we that we have now, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think these these changes were coming in, you know, slowly, just naturally. Now with a recession, everything's been turned on its head and there will be new solutions and new ways of working that come out of it. And, and starting a business now that looks looks forward, that doesn't necessarily have the baggage with it, just allows allows someone to start start afresh and to provide you know a, a product or service that is is needed in the new economy that we that we oh, go wow. into. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've now been in various iterations of lockdown for almost a year. People who might initially have been thinking about this as some weird suspension moment or, or parallel universe I think everybody's come around to thinking that I, in fact this was like a, a time machine a, 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 an accelerator if you like yeah. of all sorts of things as you just indicated that would eventually have happened anyway but had to happen a lot quicker and that has created some amazing opportunities obviously for those who were already there with the technology but it, you're right it makes other things possible. And one of the big shifts that we saw in the 2008 recession was that the relative amount of of revenues being generated from permanent recruitment as opposed to temporary and contract recruitment really shifted heavily. There's lots of potential reasons why that happened, but very often it was because in a five-year downturn, for the first time, Chief executives had a lot of time to say to look at every area on their on their PL and say, could we do this better? Could we bring it in-house? And interestingly, permanent recruitment was one of those pieces that the market really shrank. It was, I think I've got, let me just off the top of my head, 16% of revenues in the recruitment market came from permanent recruitment before then. Now it's just 9%. And that trend is continuing. Any recruiter who was thinking, well, you know, I've made a reasonably good living in the past doing permanent recruitment is going to have to think of a new way of delivering it more effectively, delivering a better result. 
delivering it at a lower cost or faster or with you know a wider reach than has been done before just repeating the same old same old just doesn't hack it does it in one of these accelerated markets so Absolutely. I'm sorry I've gone off a tangent there Rob and you were just talking us through the sorted acronym we've done so the R so the, the <laughs> so the, t- the T is for tenacity which is really persevering you know doing that work the unseen work those unseen hours when nobody's looking effectively and just be after you've people have said no and said no again going back revising the pitch and making sure that every time that you speak to a new potential client that it's better and just making those steps so that by the time that you do start to get those clients and get that momentum going that you've you've done all the right things that you can and seeing opportunities when they're not necessarily there you know i think there's so many opportunities that we can almost skip past or or overlook in everyday life and it's it's spotting the right ones and really running with those and and making that space your own the E is for enjoyment. So I, I believe that work should always be enjoyed. You know, I, I say enjoy it, don't endure it is, is, the, is the phrase that I like to use. And, and it's it's a subtle mindset shift. But, you know, if, if you enjoy work and, and, and love what it is that you do, then, you know, the, the money that comes at the end of it is a, a, an outcome of work rather than the other way around. Money comes from work rather than the, the, work, the work comes from money, if you like. And, you know, I, I think that's a key way of, of thinking about things going forwards. And, and the final step is to is to de-risk it. So I think risk is is there all the time. You know, we we're always managing and mitigating risks. As a project manager, it's something that I would do on a on a daily basis. And and I'm not a risk taker. Um, I've I've never seen myself as a risk taker. But to to outsiders, I I will have taken a number of risks over the years. You know, so I, I think uh, the starting point is to to understand where you are on that that level of risk, what your appetite for risk is, and then to understand what those risks are uh, within the business or your business idea and and indeed to manage them going forwards you can only mitigate it can't you now that again like strikes a bell with me because in fact during the whole pandemic an issue that's arisen on with more than one of the people i know is that their failure to de-risk in the good times has actually come back to bite them. You've mentioned the importance of preparation before you start a business. One of the things that I think we're, as on the whole, not greater in the recruitment industry is actually building a proper infrastructure for a business. I'll give you some examples. Guys who set up in business together but have no shareholders agreement. Well, we've seen a few business divorces during COVID. People have realised they actually want to react in completely different ways. And it's been exceptionally messy because of that lack. Complete lack of policies and formal communication to staff. Give you some scary examples. Discovering that staff had no contracts of employment, no staff handbook or policies, and therefore floundering through the whole homeworking scenario, performance management and all those areas. And I think investing time in infrastructure like that is actually not not just about managing risk, but it also helps focus the mind on the future, doesn't it? Because you very often as as a business entrepreneur, you have to consider what the business is going to look like, you know, two, five years from now and put the infrastructure in place when it seems almost ridiculously disproportionate you know that you might scoff at an inch thick 
staff policy handbook when you've only got three staff, but you never know when those things are going to come in exceptionally useful. Um, and they are for the unexpected times, aren't they? Absolutely. Uh, they really are. And it's it's one of the examples I'll give a bit later on in the book. And it comes from one of my contributors, Marianne Page, you know, who's all about operations and processes. And and she says, you know, let's let's put these in immediately, get them in at the at the very start of a new business, because then it helps to free you from the business. So it means that you can step away as an individual to focus on business growth or the golf course or whatever it is that you want to do, but knowing that the business will continue in your image effectively and in the way that you want to shape it because Mm. otherwise as soon as somebody new joins they have their own ideas but you know marianne talks about something called how-to videos where you effectively for a new joiner they're they're taught exactly how the business runs and why and because you know you as the as the founder are the the voice and the image on the how-to videos you know it's it's what you're getting across and and it keeps the business structured in the way that that you want and you know, by putting in a small amount of effort up front, uh, that will continue to pay dividends and indeed will will free your time up going forwards. Now, I'm really glad you mentioned the golf course because it made me think about a really important distinction that you make in your book. And that is the distinction between an entrepreneur and a freelancer. Typically, people use those terms, as we've discovered, in all so they jumble them up. They refer to contractors, freelancers, um, the self-employed entrepreneurs, you know, as if they were all the same thing. And in fact, they're very different. And the distinction that your book, I thought, really hit the nail on the head with was between those people who want to build a business and those people who are making a lifestyle choice. So talk to us about that and how, because people, people sometimes don't even know themselves what their motivation is. Tell us how you might examine your own motivation <laughs> it's it's a really good point and and they're often sometimes they can be they can be a crossover or you can start as one and then move into move into being another effectively but as a contractor you know generally you only tend to have one or two one or two clients um, i'm trying to think of this with the recruitment head-on as well but as a freelancer you would tend to offer the same service again and again to a, a lot of clients uh, often you know more so on the same day Whereas as an entrepreneur, you're looking to build a, a wider business uh, that has assets. So a- assets more than your own time and expertise. So you would offer offer products that have names or services that, that have names that can be repeated that you yourself could potentially be removed from. Uh, so that indeed that you can you can go onto the onto the golf course. But yeah, I, I think there's a big distinction between all of those types of businesses that you can start, and then equally, you know how how you plan for that going forwards. Yeah, so I quite often find myself talking to people who think they are entrepreneurs, but in fact, they just want to be freelancers. So what they're doing is they're doing a bit of business, they're then taking all the profits out of the business, you know, working, they're shortening their hours very rapidly, and then wondering why mysteriously their business doesn't just grow and thrive. (laughs) So a really careful examination of those motives, I think, is is quite critical. Because if you haven't got a brand, let's say you've left a big brand. I started my career with Hayes PLC, which I think I, I really underestimated how much welly that gave my all my business development activities. You know, I thought I was doing it all myself. <laughs> but actually, as you said earlier, 
having yeah. a big brand recognition, you know, behind you, a machine, a history uh, that to people that are familiar with the name and have used them before is a, is a huge help. And when that suddenly disappears, the amount of effort and commitment up front to build a genuine business before you actually see any financial reward for it is often underestimated, isn't it? It is. It really is. And I, I think the having that distinction, you know, having the separate business bank account, which I say even even many freelancers and things have, but having the the money in the business and keeping it there effectively, that's that in itself is an art. You know, once once the business is going well to, you know, take a, a relatively small salary perhaps for the, the money that you 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 genuinely need and you know leaving the rest of the money there to to reinvest and, and to help to grow the business. And whatever that may be, whether it goes on product development, on finding a new market, a new demographic within the market, marketing, sales activities, anything that it may be, there's there are so many different ways of of, of going about it. But sort of having the having those plans and so having a goal, so maybe in for three or five years time for the business and then having objectives to to achieve it. That's the mindset of an entrepreneur. Say, so, OK, we've got this much money this month. We'll take out this much money. We deserve it, you know, but at the same time, we're going to leave this amount of money in there because that's what the business needs in order to, to, to grow. I think that's a, that, that's a really key step. So big themes that I'm taking from this are your advice that, first of all, take the time to research and be really honest in your self-evaluation. Number two is don't just go and replicate whatever you've been working as an employee in before. There's an opportunity, even in downturns like this. And yeah, make sure you genuinely have an entrepreneur's business mind and attitude if that's what you want to do to build a business. It will not necessarily give you great big rewards in the short term, will it? So one of the questions that seems particularly apposite right now is about well-being. There's been a lot of emphasis during the pandemic on mental health, well-being at work and people managing their stress levels. When you do start in business on your own, in fact, not just when you start, throughout <laughs> Yep. <laughs> um, there's nobody doing that for you know for you or looking after you or even necessarily you know able to talk to about it so I'm putting you on the spot now but do you have any advice for people starting a business their own and how to manage that yeah I think boundaries are really important and I think you know having especially when we're all working at home all the time you know as, as I expect many listeners will be if they start a business you know, I heard something a little while ago that said we're we're not working from home, we're living at work. You know, and I think that's there's definitely something in that as well. But I think having boundaries, you know, my wife and I we're very active on the the calendar that we've got on the on the wall over there, in terms of when our working time is. Um, and because we've got two young kids, a lot of that time tends to be in the evenings. But you know, we we factor in time for for exercise and and, and such things as well, and um, and time where we don't have any kind of personal responsibilities or indeed work ones to try and build that in. Now, I think, you know, regardless of, of what working pattern works for you and everybody has a different working pattern that works for them in terms of what their capacity is, in terms of hours, in terms of what's optimum, whether they choose to work evenings, weekends, six o'clock in the morning, whatever it may be. But having those boundaries and, and really thinking about what's right for you. So firstly, you know, what, what your business needs from you and whether you can achieve that, I think is key. And, and also, don't be afraid to outsource 
could be so easy to try and do everything as a business owner. But at the same time, you know, there are services on there. I'm, I'm terrible at, at, at graphics and anything artistic, that type of thing. But in my business, I've got beautiful illustrations and, and uh, visual content. But I develop it. I work with a I work with a freelancer who who does, and you know I I can give a headline idea, and they'll then build on it and create something create something beautiful. Working with others and building a, a small team to support you, even if it is just you know paying for somebody by the hour or for a a, a small piece of, of content, I think that could be really helpful. But but certainly having boundaries knowing what it is that you need both from a business point of view and indeed from a family point of view and indeed the the, the downtime that you you desire to have and not sacrificing on that you know i think leisure time is really important and to to go from being an employee to starting a business and sacrificing your leisure time it's not a good way to start that relationship with your business so i, I think having those boundaries and keeping to them is really key and but having that work set up and working routine that for you as an individual it's a good point about outsourcing because one of the mind shifts that people have to make when they start working for themselves is that nobody's going to pay you for effort anymore are they mm-hmm. they are paying you for results for actual outputs if somebody else can get better outputs and you pay them so that you can work on the things where you really add value then that's going to make sense isn't it yeah Okay, so Rob, if people want to buy your book, and I do thoroughly recommend it, it's a really good but easy read. Where should they go? They can go to any of the major booksellers. So I'm, I'm, I'm on Amazon, of course, but then all of the uh, all of the other major booksellers, or indeed come to my web, come to my website. I've got a three minute quiz which will give you an idea of of where you are in terms of your strengths and opportunities and and things that you can you can develop, uh, which is robcurr.co.uk forward slash quiz. So it'll take you three minutes and uh, it'll give you a lovely PDF at the end, which will give you some some hints and tips to get started. Great. That sounds really useful. Thank you. And for those of the audience who are listening who have already perhaps started a business in recruitment and is maybe not going according to plan or are thinking about this and want some recruitment specific advice, guidance, please get in touch with me via my website, which is recruitmentleadership.co.uk. So thank you very much to Rob Kerr for joining us. Very interesting. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered, or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn, where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.